0: Hey, so yeah, before I forget, I figured I'd just, uh, you know, talk about this experience or this kind of observation I had uh, uh, regarding these white supremacist little kind of factions that I knew about um, because I was just talking to someone uh, that I talked to in TikTok. His name's Sean Morgan and he lives in LA or the States, but he's kind of like a a guy who's really you know, really uh extreme in his views, like death's not like the police at all. Uh very, very kind of like you know, like a soldier basically in his views about things. But uh so he was telling me about how racist Los Angeles is. Then I remember um, so I told him the story. Um, basically, when I was working at the west end of Toronto, um, so in South Etobicoke, for anyone from Toronto, there's an area called South Etobicoke. South Etobicoke in the 80s, right? Uh, mainly settled by kind of lower class like, or working class Eastern European immigrants that came to Toronto. So Czechoslovakians, Polish folk, um, a few Russians, uh, as well as the, you know, original WASPs were in the area. But the, just to give you an idea, the neighborhood in South Etobicoke is not like Middle Etobicoke or North Etobicoke. The houses are small, Kind of uh, built in the 50s, just after World War II. Uh, so little bungalows, usually, or small two-story homes on modest-sized lots. And the streets, they are numbered, like there'll be, uh, you know, 1st Street, 2nd Street, 3rd Street going all the way. And its borders or is right at the lakeshore, so Lake Ontario. So very kind of nice, nice neighbourhood. So in the 80s, you know, working class folk uh, used to live there because there was, a couple, uh, you know, large manufacturing um, going on in the area. It was the area serviced very well by uh, rail lines that come right through the city, basically mostly around, around the auto industry. So coming from Detroit, which in the 80s was booming, that was where the money was, the big four or the big three uh, car companies in the states, they would have manufacturing or buy parts or set up stuff in Ontario, in South Etobicoke, because of whatever, cheaper labor or incentives, and so people were very well employed, right, but not educated, because the, you know, guys would be in their 40s working at a manufacturing plant, you know, just doing assembly line work, but getting paid very well because of the unions. Uh, And when NAFTA was signed, the North American Free Trade Agreement was signed. uh, It was an agreement between the United States, Mexico, and Canada. Uh, All those manufacturing, you know, uh, jobs basically were lost to Mexico. So because the people running the companies or the managers and the executive level people who were getting paid money and were, you know, only interested in making their shareholders feel that they were always turning a profit, you know, sold out as usual and moved the place facilities to mexico all right? because now between the three countries you could move anywhere and be taxed the same rates uh, no tariffs were imposed blah 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 right so after the north american free trade agreement was signed i don't know when it was signed but in the 80s all the jobs were gone so people ended up unemployed and so the guys in their 40s with, with, with kids who were like, you know, early teens you know, were in those bungalows and suddenly, you know, all the nice stores were closing down and the place went into a you know, real, kind of became really run down. There were abandoned buildings and obviously when the high-end stores move out because no one's got money, the bars... Seemed to do start to do well, right? And you know, it became an area where there was a lot of drugs, a lot of um, you know, sex work, strip clubs, etc. Because those are the only businesses that do well during a recession when people are depressed, they need you know to 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 friggin escape reality. So, most of those guys in the you know, we're, were on receiving, let's say, severance packages, then went on to, you know, disability claims and things like that. Uh, yeah, a lot of those guys who had toiled, right, in those manufacturing uh, jobs and were of mostly Eastern European, you know, background, so not really connected to the p- political power in Toronto or the real wealth or the people with the connections in Toronto, which has always been wasps or descendants of wasps, so those kind of family lines, uh, you know, felt that they they got used. Uh, They ended up, you know, in those homes. Mortgages may have been paid, but now there was no money coming in. The wives were, you know, just housewives and not trained or didn't have much education had to find jobs, Uh, you know, a lot of families broke up, kids started becoming, you know, uh, neglected, and they weren't used to basically a tough life, and suddenly they're in the middle of a tough life. So a lot of those kids, um, Polish kids and, you know, or, or a few of them, you know, withdrew into their own kind of Worlds, because maybe they're in a house where there's now some domestic abuse or alcoholism or you know you know lots of stress and what happened with those kids right is a few of them would be the outcasts, the loners in in schools there then mid nineties a lot of or a large or more. Visible minorities moved into the neighborhood because now the real estate values were, were were you know depressed were low, right? A lot of the homes now you know a lot of people who had sold their homes moved out. The homes have been bought by like let's say landlords or people who had bought some of those homes as a second home for income purposes, would rent out the home or rent out the rooms, and suddenly there was an influx of, you know, Somalian people, uh, you know, just Jamaican people in the area, because they could now afford it. So, basically, you know, if you're insecure, if you're a Polish kid, and you've grown up with no real kind of... Uh, uh, interaction with people of color. You've come from Eastern Europe, right? You've been fed, brainwashed certain things, right? Like, you know, hey, you know, basically a little bit racist inside. Add that to the insecurity, the issues at home, you know, they kind of like, they just ended up being loners. And what happened now is there was these white supremacist little, little crews popping up, alright but here's the thing, so what'll happen is a couple of those guys like skinheads would be in the schools and then they would target the loners the the guys, you know, trench coat mafia, the guy doesn't have any friends, right and basically they would have one of those houses would be rented out by a main guy who's like, you know, the head of such-and-such chapter of, you know, the Heritage Front. And they'd have all the, you know, Nazi stuff and white supremacist stuff and, you know, look at this neighborhood, it's all fucked up because people of color have moved in, they've destroyed it, all our jobs have been taken and they've moved to Mexico, you know, and basically... You know, white culture, white heritage, uh, you know, all, well, you know, our European people are the ones who built this neighborhood up and now it's just destroyed by people of color. They get fed that when they hang around with (laughs) those guys, right, who are now kind of like one, there'll be one or two tough, you know, Nazi-ish skinhead type guys in, in a school and these guys would gravitate towards them. And they'd also feed them stuff like, hey, I not mean, you notice that the system, the teachers, the, you know, the principals, all of them cut more slack towards, you know, the Somalian kids or this or that, you know, who can't even speak English, blah, blah, blah. Right? so they would fall for this kind of bullshit, you know, get indoctrinated. And let's fast forward, let's say five years after they've, you know, started hanging around with those crews, they end up dropped out of school left the house that they, you know, left their parents' house because, you know, of anger issues. You know, maybe the father was like, you know, found out about, you know, them being involved with the racist group and didn't agree with it or whatever. Those kids would end up in those houses, like a small two-story house with four bedrooms. And the rent is paid by the main guy, right, the owner is probably some Chinese guy or whatever who owns the house as, a, as an investment property. So there would be a few of those homes in the neighborhood where I used to work, uh, which would be basically uh, occupied by this racist crew. And there would be, you know, three or four young guys living there with an older guy who was hardly there and just, you know, if you walk in there. Basically, everyone's smoking weed, meth, Doing whatever, alcohol, drunk out, you know, aggressive, violent, working out, tough, you know, basically white supremacist guys, lots of girls around, you know, the usual shit. So, basically looks like a, like Hell's Angels, uh, you know, local chapter somewhere, right? Uh, but the thing is, those white supremacist groups, the leader... And there'd be little 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 satellite you know homes all under the umbrella of the main group, and then they'd have their hierarchy and then they'd have soldiers um and all you know the mission was so the mission statement is we you know have to preserve our heritage you know we're we're the we're the chosen ones we're the we're from europe you know our our lineages being basically you know, subversified or, you know, we could lose our heritage, our value, our genes, our, you know, people have now, you know, there's so much interracial stuff going on, you know, you know, our identity could be lost, right? You know, blah, 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 right? That would be the mission statement, The the, 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 the pamphlets, the meetings would all be, you know, That kind of uh, diatribe or whatever would be just instilled into them. You know, kind of like the Bible, right? It's instilled into Christians. So these guys would feel that they're, you know, belonging to an organization that has a higher cause. It's it's a holy cause. Regardless of whether or not it's evil, it's still, you know, for the people, for the betterment of a group, right? Maybe at the... Um, you know, at at the cost of you know hurting another group, but it's still you know for our own survival we have to stick together. You know we have a purpose, and it's a holy war. It's not it's not about some you know it's not it's not we're not criminals we're not lowlifes, right. But in reality, at the top of these chains. It's basically a drug dealing or a criminal organization involved in all sorts of crimes. So, you know, most of those guys would end up dropped out of high school in that crew. How are you going to find work when you, you know, a skinhead, you've got anger issues? You won't usually last long or you, you may end up, you know, working at some place where they'll tolerate you. But most, you know, Canadian guys... There'll be, a, especially in Toronto, you can't find even a lumber yard where, you know, it's all white dudes, right? Or even if it's all white dudes, you're right, 90% of them are not racist. They'll be like, what the fuck? So these guys have no choice but to engage in whatever criminal activity they're all engaged in, and it's usually dealing drugs, right? So... They deal drugs. They get into this kind of, you know, uh, world where they're the head honchos. But they're just in a little house there, in a little crew. And they're scared, right? But they're angry. But, you know, amongst that that little group, they feel good. But, you know, when I was in the neighborhood, I was, you know, doing street outreach, come in contact with guys and, you know... Usually, we'd get to know dealers because most of the people we worked with were using, you know, heavy, heavy drugs like fentanyl and heroin and crack. But, you know, so you'd come in contact with those guys. So a few of those guys I got to know. I'd see them on the street and, yeah, what's up? And spoke to them, you know, and then I realized these guys are just, because they'd just be like, yo, it's not about that. we would have discussions. And then, you know, I'd be like, "Okay, cool, you have that belief, right? Whatever, man, but you know, you still you know you they would tell me like I'm not out to hurt people, I'm just out to preserve our heritage. You don't understand I'm, you, you know you you know why, blah blah okay, no problem, but really, at the top of the chain, after a while of watching this, after getting to know how it works, it's just an organization that's engaged in criminal activity that, you know, basically recruits youngsters, you know, who really aren't born criminals, right? They're just alone, they're insecure, they're scared. They basically give them, turn that fear into anger and hatred. And because of that, they become more alienated from regular folk, their own families, and then they become... You know, they have no choice but to stick with the new family. And they end up, you know, dropping out of school. And the potential for at least a legal, you know, career is gone. And most of them not being that clever, being stupid and being targeted already because they walk around with, you know, bald heads and you know, those big, uh, what do you call it, Doc Martens with the laces and sometimes wearing red suspenders. Clearly they look like they're part of, you know, an organization that's not legal. They'd always be watched. And since they really aren't street smart or tough or experienced enough to know when they're something's wrong in some situation because they don't hang around with other groups and also they're also in a little bubble you know like if you're a drug dealer in your neighborhood and you're not a racist you'd be friends with people of all sorts of color all sorts of different ethnic groups and then you get information from all sorts of those groups because each group would have their own you know basically access to certain information that they could tell you something so you wouldn't get walk into a trap or a setup or a sting right? Or we'll, we'll go sell crack to an undercover cop because everyone would know uh, you know like jamaican guys will really like hey you know that guy's undercover right you know he's jamaican and pretends he's buying drugs but you know he's an undercover cop you would only know that if you had jamaican friends so these guys end up getting arrested a lot then spending most of the time you know inside doing a little bit of time then getting help from a half ass lawyer initially you know the organization will be like don't worry don't worry we got lawyers and that'll only last the first time <clears throat> second time you know they get booked oh why don't you get legal aid it's better when you get legal aid you get a crappy lawyer right so you uh sorry i'm a little bit sick you end up doing more time, or spending more time in the system, and you end up usually using the drugs you're dealing, usually not getting married, not getting educated, and suddenly you wake up when you're 50, and you realize, what am I doing in this house, in this room, you know, yeah, I'm the head of an organization, but it's only like four kids working under me, and they're just selling crap which I'm getting from this guy. But at the top of those organizations, those guys are millionaires. They just come and pretend that, you know, they have some other house or, you know, stay at the house just for, you know, on a Saturday night or come to party. But they live in mansions up in the north of the city. They're with, And they're married with children that go to, you know, <coughs> Um, let's say exclusive, uniform schools, and they have a jag, a jaguar in the garage, and they are not even racist. But as soon as they drive into this new neighborhood, in the shitty car or the thugged-out car or the whatever it is that you know white supremacists will be driving, I don't know Ford, or, I don't know what would I, just a pick 'em up truck or whatever. Right, it's suddenly they they're acting street. They're wearing leather jackets, and you know it's all about yo yo yo, right? But they have two lives. <laughs> the guys at the top and these young kids end up being becoming old men, who just basically realize, or maybe never realize, that they just got played, a big big game. You know, got got used, right? Because eventually they will end up realizing that not every black dude is out to fuck him up. Is, you know, or, or as, it thinks that way that they think this is how black people think. Or, you know, not every black guy is scamming the system or welfare like, you know, he had been told. Or maybe it never happens. But yeah, that's the story of uh, you know, those little white supremacist kind of crews that I came in contact with in South Etobicoke, uh, yeah, Toronto for you. There's yeah, so city traps, but you know, even it's, it's all about you, right? You just gotta, I guess, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't grow up in the homes with those kids and if I was in his place, I would exactly where he is today, so such so is life, right? Hey, so yeah, before I forget, I figured I'd just uh, you know, talk about this experience or this kind of observation I had uh, regarding these white supremacist little kind of factions that I knew about um, because I was just talking to someone that i talked to in tiktok his name's sean morgan and he lives in la or the states but he's kind of like a a guy who's really you know really uh extreme in his views like dad's not like the police at all uh, very very kind of like you know like a soldier basically in his views about things but uh so he was telling me about how racist Los Angeles is, then I remember, uh, so I told him the story, uh, basically when I was working in the west end of Toronto, um, so in South Etobicoke, for anyone from Toronto, there's an area called South Etobicoke. South Etobicoke in the 80s, right, mainly settled by kind of lower class or working class eastern european immigrants that came to toronto so czechoslovakians polish folk um, a few russians uh, as well as the you know original wasps were in the area but the just to give you an idea the neighborhood in south Etobicoke is not like middle Etobicoke. North Etobicoke. The houses are small, kind of uh, built in the 50s just after World War II. Uh, so, little bungalows usually, or small two story homes on modest sized lots. And the streets there are numbered like there'll be, uh, you know, First Street, Second Street, Third Street going all the way. And it's borders or is right at the lakeshore so lake ontario so very kind of nice nice neighborhood so in the 80s you know working class folk uh, used to live there because there was a couple uh, you know large manufacturing um going on in the area it was the area serviced very well by uh, rail lines that come right through the city basically mostly around around the auto industry so coming from Detroit, which in the eighties was booming. That was where the money was, the big four or the big three, uh, car companies in the States, they would have manufacturing or buy parts or set up stuff in Ontario, in South Etobicoke because of whatever, cheaper labor or incentives. And so people were very well employed, right, but not educated because the you know, guys would be in their 40s working at a manufacturing plant, you know, just doing assembly line work, but getting paid very well because of the unions. Uh, and when NAFTA was signed, the North American Free Trade Agreement was signed, uh, it was an agreement between the United States, Mexico, and Canada. Uh, all those manufacturing you know uh, jobs basically were lost to Mexico so because the people running the companies all the managers and the executive level people who were getting paid money and were you know only interested in making the shareholders feel that they were always turning a profit you know sold out as usual and moved the place facilities to Mexico, right? Because now between the three countries, you could move anywhere and be taxed the same rates, uh, no tariffs were imposed, blah, 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 right? So after the North American Free Trade Agreement was signed, I don't know when it was signed, but in the eighties, all the jobs were gone. So people ended up unemployed. And so, the guys in their 40s with, with, with kids who were like, you know, early teens you know, were in those bungalows and suddenly, you know, all the nice stores were closing down and the place went into, a, you know, real, kind of became really rundown. There were abandoned buildings and obviously when the high end stores move out because no one's got money, the bars, seemed to do start to do well right and you know it became an area where there was a lot of drugs a lot of um you know sex work strip clubs etc because those are the only businesses that do well during a recession when people are depressed they need you know to 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 freaking escape reality so most of those guys and you know were, we're on Receiving, let's say, severance packages, then went on to, you know, disability claims and things like that. Uh, yeah, a lot of those guys who had toiled, right, in those manufacturing uh, jobs.